You're listening to the audio podcast of Richard Hefner's Open Mind. For more information, visit 13.org slash open mind. I'm Richard Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. And when today's guest sat here 10 years ago, he had then for the second time just become top cop. Indeed, Raymond W. Kelly had just become New York City Police Commissioner for the first time when he had joined me in an open mind conversation a decade before that as well. And I must say how much I wish that he'd stay on the job even 10 years more if he won't take that as a curse rather than as an expression of profound admiration. For I feel safer and sounder that it is Ray Kelly who's facing down the threats of crime and particularly of terror in the Big Apple, as well as facing up to the promises of police technology in the modern world. And I say all that in the service of full disclosure. No conflict of interest here, rather a confluence of interests, my families, my cities, and my countries. Yet the long knives are out now, as perhaps they always must be when any strong and authoritative figure who doesn't tolerate fools easily has been in office a long time. Particularly a tough one like Ray Kelly, who has held every rank in the NYPD, who is a lawyer with a Master of Laws from NYU Law School as well, and a Master of Public Administration from Harvard's Kennedy School of Government, who is a combat veteran, retired from the Marine Corps Reserves as a colonel, who has even run the gamut in Washington, D.C., and in the private sector, too. Whatever, while my guest today may want to comment about those long knives, I don't know. I'm sure viewers are more convinced that they should be concerned with his views on crime, terrorism, and police technology in the years ahead. Ray, I don't know. We haven't spoken at this table for a long time. When we have spoken, we've spoken about general things. Right now, uh, the, uh, the knives are out, and you may want to respond to them. What do you feel? Let me say it's great to be with you again. Um, those knives come with the territory, and in a way, you, you get used to it. This is the most litigious environment in the world. I get sued literally every day. Certainly, the department does. Uh, every day. So uh, you just accept it as a cost of doing business and you uh, you go forward. It, it really doesn't have uh, much of an effect at all. You're tough. <laughs> Marines so. are tough. Kinda, you know, the job kind of makes you tough. Well, what do you time. think about where we are now in terms of crime, not just in New York, but in this country itself, and in terms of terror. Those are the things yes. that concern right. me. Right. Obviously, I'm, I'm pretty parochial when it comes to the issue of crime. I'm looking at the five boroughs of New York City. We've done uh, very well. We're down 34% since uh, 2001, and we're doing that with 6,000 fewer police officers than we had in our ranks in, in 2001. How come? I should interfere and in budget interrupt issues and say, for, for the most part. No, I don't mean in the downturn in number of cops. How come we're down with those disabilities, financial and otherwise? I think we're, 
we're engaged in smarter policing, we're using technology, we're using our resources in a more focused way. Uh, we've learned a lot in the, in the last uh, decade. Uh, we've also brought to bear technology to a much greater degree. We have a lot more information now. We know where crime is happening, you know when the crime is happening to a much greater degree than, than ever before. And it's enabled us to uh, hone in on where our problems are, where our resources can do the, the most good. Now this year, for instance, right now we're at a record low murders. Uh, we are, uh, I know I'm not certain when this show is going to be shown, so we, we are uh, at, at a, uh, the lowest point that we've been on this date in at least 45 years, and that's when we started to measure crime accurately. At the same time, the population of New York City has gone up. Right now it's arguably 8.4 million people. In 1990, we had 2,245 murders, with a population of roughly 7.3 million people. So we have a million more people in the city. And we're running at a rate now that would be a record low. I don't want to predict what it will be. But we did have a, a low in 2009 of 471 uh, murders. Uh, all indications are we'll come in significantly uh, below that. But what has technology got to do with this? Technology has a lot to do with. We have a lot more cameras, uh, many, we didn't have any cameras in 1990. Now we have thousands of cameras that we're able to access. We have them to a certain extent in clusters. We have them in what we call the Low Manhattan Security Initiative, the 1.7 square miles south of Canal Street area has been attacked twice successfully by terrorists. We've had several plots since uh, September 11th in that uh, area, focused in that area. We have cameras in midtown Manhattan, and now we're tying in cameras throughout all five boroughs into the lower Manhattan uh, Coordination Center, which is where we, we monitor many cameras. And it's a unique location because it's a public-private partnership. We have police officers there, and we have representatives from top corporations in these areas, in Midtown and in, in uh, Lower Manhattan. The cameras are very sophisticated tools. They can act as alarms. You can put algorithms in these cameras that will enable you to search them. And if you wanted to see everyone who walked in front of a particular camera wearing a red shirt at uh, 3 o'clock in the afternoon uh, two weeks ago, we can do that, and we can do it fairly quickly. And it also just data is now much more uh, available to the department, uh, enabling us to plan, enable, enabling uh, investigators to have information in their hands much more quickly. We put in place something called the Real-Time Crime Center. doesn't really exist anywhere else, although some people use the name. We created a data warehouse, put lots of information into that data warehouse, and sitting on top of it is this real-time crime center, which is a man 24 hours a day, seven days a week, by experienced detectives. To push information out to investigators in the field when a crime happens. A murder happens, they get that victimology, the information about the victim, get it into the hands of the investigators as quickly as possible. Who's on parole in the, in the area? We have 10 years of... 911 call data information that uh, called into our, our our system. 
Uh, it just there's just a lot more real-time information in the hands of police officers, certainly investigators, but police officers in the street, and we're trying to in, increase that every day. Ray, how do you deal with the people who find that to be, in one sense, not the result, the lowering of the crime rate, but the very fact of information, 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 a horror story, that they're on camera? I'll tell you, those people, I think in this day and age, are really very few. You know, the world has changed. You walk into a department store, your picture is taken uh, 20 times. Uh, uh, Arthur Goldberg said in 1968 in the Supreme Court decision that uh, there's no expectation of uh, privacy in the, in the public domain. So uh, that genie is out of the bottle. There's cameras uh, everywhere. And you really, when it's polled, by the way, it, it usually shows about 80% support on, on the part of the, uh, the public. Uh, so um, I, we don't hear those, those uh, complaints anymore. If you want me to, Your I'll make point. a record of all the people who say to me, you're going to have Ray Kelly there? Ask him about privacy. Ask him about those cameras. Yeah. Well, I think they're protecting the city. They're, as I say, they're in uh, uh, public areas, and uh, I, I don't hear those, uh, those complaints. Uh, you know, the circles you travel in the, up here, <laughs> people may, may uh, complain about it, but... Uh, uh, it is a fact of life. It's something we have to do to protect the city. Crime is down to, to record lows. One of the reasons is technology and one of the aspects of technology, the cameras that are proliferating all over. You go to London, they have a, many more cameras than, uh, than we have here. Paris, the same thing. So uh, it, it just the, the way the world uh, is now and will be only increasing in the future. Ray, let me ask this. In London, in Paris, in other countries, do we find, and I certainly accept your statement of statistics that 80% of people Mm -hmm. are not concerned about this because the payoff is safety, Mm -hmm. more safety. But the less privacy that goes with more safety, do other people... um, deal with this uh, more easily than we do. Let's take the 20%. The people who are saying to me, ask Kelly about the invasion of privacy. Are others taking well, that? They, they may not be talking about cameras. They may be talking about other aspects of what, uh, what we're doing. But uh, I don't believe it's an issue in, uh, in the UK. I don't believe it's an issue in, uh, in, in Paris. Uh, I was in Argentina uh, in Buenos Aires uh, 12 years ago. They had an elaborate uh, array of, uh, of cameras. Obviously, in uh, Israel and Jerusalem, uh, they have some sophisticated uh, camera systems. So I, I don't think there is that much of resistance anymore uh, to cameras, maybe in terms of other technology, but uh, I think that... that that's sort of yesterday's issue. Well, what are the other technologies that? Well, the, and the complaints that that uh, you may hear, but I mean, the, you know, uh, obviously the issues about the eavesdropping, those, those sorts of things that happened in other other countries happen in, in in the UK. Uh, here, you clearly need a court order to uh, to do that, and um, you know, we 
we certainly adhere to the law in that regard. What's the wave of the future? More cameras, more what people, some people call invasion of privacy? Well, one of the things that we're looking at, and we looked at it with the, with the Brits and with uh, our own Department of Defense, is the terahertz technology, it's called. Uh, we all emit a certain radiation called the terahertz. And what we were looking for is some device that would help us identify someone wearing a gun or a suicide vest, a bomb vest, which the DOD was, was looking at. So we've worked on this for a few years. Uh, it's got a ways to go, but the technology is out there where you can see a, a person uh, the, you know, in, a, in sort of a green light the fashion, and you can see the outline of a gun. In other words, the terahertz uh, does not come through, or the radiation does not come through the, the weapon. So you can see the, the form of a, of a weapon. Now, we have worked with this. It's the, right now, the current device is way too big, and it doesn't have the range that, uh, that we like. But we know what cell phones look like 20 years ago. So you know, we're hopeful that this would enable us in, in certain situations to spot someone with a, with a weapon. Now, there are legal concerns, legal issues here are... are Legal uh, folks are aware of this, looking at it, and the technology is not there yet. But that's something that. Uh, How do you see it being used? Well, it could be used in in areas where you have uh, uh, violence, uh, shootings, that that sort of thing. Uh, maybe uh, gangs are are uh, getting coming together, or uh, talking about having uh, you know uh, fights. Uh, we might be able to. Uh, use this to, to uh, disarm people, identify someone uh, carrying a gun, rise to a level of reasonable suspicion. You'd be able to go right to that person who was uh, carrying a gun instead of stopping and questioning uh, other people. Reasonable suspicion. Reason is used by individuals. Do you feel sanguine about the ability of your individual cops to use that reason? Uh, it is a, a well-established principle in the law. Police have been using it for a very long time. It's another, I think, 1968 Supreme Court decision. It was about a year in the, in the Supreme Court. Uh, Terry versus Ohio, which uh, gave uh, authorization, you might say, for officers to do this. It's also codified in our in our criminal procedure law. You're talking about stop and question and sometimes frisking. Uh, or stop and use this machine that you're talking about. Well, stop about. and using the machine. The machine is, is sort of like the next step where it would, it I would develop reasonable suspicion uh, just on its own. And again, this is, you know, this is emerging technology. There's certainly uh, some uncharted water here. There's, the legal issues have to be... Uh, uh, ironed out and addressed. But you asked me what's coming down the pike, and I, uh, I see that as, uh, as something that is going to happen when I, uh, I couldn't tell you exactly. What other kinds of technologies are you hoping to develop or see developed? Well, one of the things that has just been passed in Washington, which is a miracle in and of itself. To get anything passed? Is the uh, D-block. It's, it, it's sort of a, a increase in, in uh, 
bandwidth or radio frequencies for for public safety for both police and and fire. It's sort of a uh, arm wrestle between the private sector and the government to to use this this spectrum and. Uh, the, the government is now going to be able to uh, use it to uh, have a much better communications for first responders, public safety first responders, fire, police, uh, e- EMS. And that will enable us to put a lot more information in the hands of uh, police officers. Uh, right now we have a little bit of this in a Wi-Fi system in, in, uh, in New York but it, it's just not broad enough. It's not uh, powerful enough uh, to penetrate a lot of our buildings, for instance. So this is going to, when it's in place, and it's believe me, it's a heavy lift, and it's a way down the road. And this will, this is a nationwide uh, approach. But it's going to uh, enable a lot more uh, handheld information. In, in, in what I'm looking at, police officers having it, but certainly other. Other first responders will have a lot more information um, available. Ray, I remember that after 9-11, this became such a hot issue, this ability or inability to communicate. Why has it taken this much time? Are we talking about science or are we talking about politics here? Uh, I think you're talking mostly about politics. Uh, the, the, The science was there. I mean, we can talk about the nine, uh, 9-11 uh, situation for its communication. You had uh, police and fire, sort of separate systems. You had a VHF system and a UHF uh, a system. Uh, those things were ironed out fairly quickly. But in terms of this expansion, uh, there has been a lot of discussion, uh, a lot of uh, lobbying by lots of folks on, on different sides. But uh, uh, remarkably, this piece of legislation has uh, been passed. The president has signed it. The vice president uh, had played a major role in, in getting it through. And I think uh, it's fair to say that uh, all of uh, certainly law enforcement and, and uh, fire uh, fighters throughout the country and EMS workers are very appreciative of this. They see this as making a, a big difference in the ability to have a lot more information. Are there other big political issues that law enforcement by and large agrees upon in which there are political stumbling blocks, uh, gun control or well, other areas? Well, you know, gun control is obviously a, a big issue and, and uh, we know that uh, uh, both sides of the aisle in Washington are reluctant to take this issue on. That's just the reality of it. Mayor Bloomberg has been terrific in his leadership in this regard. Uh, he's brought together over 300 mayors, uh, pretty powerful force, yet they haven't been able to make the legislative changes that uh, he believes, and I certainly agree, that are needed to tighten up the, the the flow of guns into New York City, for instance. 90% of the guns that we confiscate here are from out of New York State. You can get on a bus and go to neighboring states and buy some guns, uh, bring them back here, sell them for two or three times what you, uh, what you paid for them. You can go to gun shows 
and if you are a, quote, casual seller or a casual buyer, you can buy without any, any sort of records check. And that's one of the, one of the big areas that uh, the mayor and certainly uh, myself would like to see that, that loophole uh, plugged. It's a pretty big loophole. It, it is a big loophole. And it, it, it might be as many as 40% of illegal guns coming through that, that uh, gap. So that's another, that's a big issue. I think it's fair to say that most law enforcement would like to see uh, tighter gun controls. And, and the, the problems that we see, you know, we, as I say, crime is down in New York City. We still have way too many guns on the streets of, of the city. Most of the victims are young men of, of color. And if you look at other cities throughout the country, it's exactly the same, only even more so proportionally when you look at the, uh, their population. So this is a national problem. You know, we, as I say, we're look, looking here at New York, but we know that uh, in other major cities it is, uh, it is an ongoing issue. They're, they're, we have the lowest murder rate of any major city in, in America, L- lower than the top 25 cities. Uh, and and uh, if you look at other cities, they big cities, two, three, four times more likely to be murdered in those cities than in, in, in New York. Uh, we'd like it to go down here in New York as well, but it's, uh, my point is it's a national problem, not just the city. Ray, terror. What do you want to tell me to make me feel better? <laughs> well, I think it's clear that uh, core al-Qaeda has been significantly diminished. Uh, the drone attacks had a, a major impact. But at the same time, their affiliates are alive and well. They're strong, certainly in, uh, in Yemen, as we say, al-Qaeda in the Arabian uh, Peninsula, in the Maghrib, in, in North Africa, in uh, uh, Somalia. Al-Shabaab is a, uh, has sworn allegiance to uh, al-Qaeda. Uh, we're concerned about Boko Haram, which is a terrorist group in, in northern uh, Nigeria. Uh, we just had that bomb plot, which was leaked uh, just a few, a few weeks ago, you know, emanating from, uh, from Yemen. So the threat uh, is, is still very much uh, with us. Yes, Qar al-Qaeda... Uh, has has been reduced. We know that that number three and number two job is a is a tough position to hold, and uh, uh, Al Qaeda. But uh, we we can't we can't relax. We can't take our pack off, as they say. Uh, we we have to continue to be concerned about those affiliates, but also the lone wolf uh, threat. That, something that's very hard to get your arms around. Uh, the most recent case we had here is an individual that we uh, locked up in uh, November. Jose uh, Pimental, his name is. It's a, the uh, case is going forward now with the Manhattan District Attorney. But uh, he is a, a young man who uh, basically self-radicalized, um, born in the Dominican Republic, comes here when he's five years of age. And uh, he was a, within an hour of walking out with what he thought were three functioning uh, uh, pipe bombs. Uh, we were watching him, and he, he was arrested for that. But his plan was to uh, attack returning troops and, and police stations. 
and he learned how to make these bombs by looking at Inspire magazine, which is something Anwar Awaki, who was killed on September 30th, last September 30th, in a drone attack, and Samir Khan, who was also uh, killed, put on the Internet. And it was a step-by-step method to put these bombs uh, together. That information is is out there. It's available uh, right now. So the Pimentel-type person is difficult to identify. No, the lone no wolf. question about it. The lone wolf. Uh, and it, it, it certainly a cause for, for concern. You say a cause for concern. We have two minutes left. Uh, what can a citizen do with this concern? Well, we uh, have to operate on, on several levels, and uh, I think uh, human intelligence is uh, an important factor. Uh, it's something that uh, in the 70s was sort of, sort of uh, uh, pushed to the side uh, by in- intelligence-gathering entities and agencies, and uh, uh, there's nothing like uh, human intelligence, and uh, we need that. We need to keep that that uh, ability uh, to, to gather on-the-ground intelligence. Difficult work. Uh, it's certainly overseas. It's, it, you know, when you're dealing with tribes and you're dealing with clans, it's very difficult to, to get into those types of, uh, of organizations. But uh, uh, human intelligence is um, often the, the key. You just can't rely on, on uh, the electronic uh, means. That's why one hears in public so much. If you see something, hear something. You see something, say something. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. We need that. We need vigilance. We have uh, we have an NYPD Shield organization here, made up of over ten thousand uh, security directors. We impart information to them. It's a two-way street, and we also uh, have conferences where we bring them in and, and brief them on what's what's going on. It's a force multiplier for the, the police department, the as government m- in general. As my wife says, and I echo it, we feel safer to know that Ray Kelly is police commissioner. Thanks for joining me again Great today. to be with you, Richard. And thanks, too, to you in the audience. I hope you join us again next time. And meanwhile, as another old friend used to say, good night and good luck. And do visit the Open Mind website at 13.org slash openmind to reprise this program online right now or to draw upon our archive of 1,500 or so other open mind and related programs. That's 13.org slash open mind.